Thank you. Can we give a, a clap offering to the Lord for a rich time in his presence and also how God has used our brothers and sisters in leading us and pointing us to Christ and, and his, uh, his glorious name, his beautiful name, his powerful name, his wonderful name. And uh, I am so glad to be with you tonight. As, as some of you have been, you've heard a number of, number of times, we did not know if this this night's going to happen just a few days ago. I did not know that, I did not know as of 24 hours ago if I would actually physically be here because um, uh, Orlando Airport was, as of 24 hours ago, closed tomorrow, but they reopened in time so that I could definitely stay with you to the very, very end, to the, our last session. We actually did record two sermons yesterday. Uh, during, uh, during the afternoon, uh, Pastor DL and I, we were here. We had an iPhone. Uh, he, he sat in the back. It was just me in an empty sanctuary, and I gave two messages to record them just in case, okay? You had options. And uh, something happened in one of my messages. Actually, the first message that I was supposed to preach tonight, uh, as I was being recorded yesterday, something that has never happened in my, my years of preaching. About 10 minutes into my sermon, I was trying to make a point, and I totally went blank. And I told Pastor DL, can we, can we start all over again, okay? <laughs> Literally, because I knew there was no one else in the room except him. It was being recorded, and we, we moved it back, and we moved the sermon back a few minutes, and, and then we uh, recorded. And, 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 <laughs> and, and that sermon, I'm not preaching tonight, okay? Maybe that was my batting practice. Can we call it that? Or the scrimmage or the preseason, okay? It didn't, didn't really count, even though I believe uh, God's word is always, always, um, always effective and powerful and living and active. Maybe that was just for Pastor DL. Maybe that sermon was just for you because you're the only one in the room. So actually, after, after confirming today that, or last night, that I was going to be here in, in person tonight and tomorrow, I asked uh, Pastor DL uh, today, I said, hey, do, would you mind if I preach on something different um, tonight? <laughs> and pardon me. And my voice, as you can tell, is starting to go, okay? Um, but that's sometimes when revival happens. The rasp of the voice, okay? I don't know if, uh, what your tradition is, but uh, that's where sometimes we hear God the clearest. Um, so I asked Pastor DL, is there something, is there a different message uh, can I preach on? And he described the type of theme and topic that he, as your pastor, felt like would be uh, timely. And I said, you know, Pastor DL, actually, I have a sermon that I was supposed to preach three years ago at your church. When I was here in the summer of 2016, I was scheduled to preach this sermon. But once again, as, as I mentioned on my first night, the Pulse nightclub shooting happened just days prior. And then Pastor DL shared about what it means to be a city uh, on a hill in, in, uh, in a community. I remember that message. So as he described what he wanted me to speak on, I said, actually, that sounds exactly like what I, I, I think I was supposed to preach three years ago. So tonight, I'm going to preach what God knew was not meant for June of 2016, but God knew was intended for September of 2019. Amen. And I really hope, again, God's word is beautiful, it's powerful, it's, it's wonderful, because it's both timeless and timely. So I pray that you will personally experience it, and as a family, we'll, we'll agree that God had something special in store with this message. So if you would meet me in the book of 1 Samuel, 
Um, and it's a story that not many knew. And again, until I read the story, I, I didn't really know the story until I studied it and came across it. But second, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 13, um, verse starting in verse 22. Now, chapter 13, whether you realize it or not, is actually a famous chapter because there's a phrase in this chapter that uh, many of us have used, but we may not have known where it was coming from, Okay. Okay, that's, no, that's great. Her Bible is reading to her, okay? That's great. No, that, that, that is great. If you want to come up, you can put it to the microphone. <laughs> These are some difficult words to pronounce in this passage. But if you look, I'm, it's not part of our text tonight, but if you look in chapter 13, verse 14, it says, but now your kingdom shall not continue. This is the words of Saul. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, describing David. So this is a well-known chapter, well-known passage. You just didn't know maybe where it came from. And let's begin in chapter, uh, chapter 13 once again, verse 22 at the end of that chapter. And I'll read about 15 or so verses uh, into chapter 14. I think, again, it's a narrative. Hopefully, it should be fast-paced. There's a lot of uh, action, so to speak, and uh, minimal dialogue, but some powerful lessons, I believe, God has for us tonight. So, First Samuel 13, verse 22. So, on the day of the battle, there was neither a sword nor a spear found in the hand of any of the people with Saul and Jonathan, Saul being the king of Israel. But Saul and Jonathan, his son, had them. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the pass of Michmash. Verse chapter 14. One day, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison, garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave at Migron. The people who were there with him were about 600 men. Including, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people did not know what, that Jonathan had gone. Within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, again, the Philistines representing the enemy, there was a rocky crag on one side and a rocky crag on the other side. One of, the name of one was Bozes and the other... Uh, and of the other Sene. The one crag rose to the north in front of Michmash, and the other on the south in front of Geba. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor bearer said to him, which I believe is some of the most beautiful words penned in Scripture. Do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, Jonathan, heart and soul. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we shall cross over to the men, and we will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, wait, we will come to you, then we will stand still in our place, and we will not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, and then we will go up, for the Lord has given them in our hand, and this shall be a sign to us. 
So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And uh, the Philistines said, look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they, have, uh, where they have hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and his feet and his armor bearer after him. And they, the Philistines, fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer, killed them after him. And after that first strike, which was Jonathan and his, and his armor bearer made, killed about 20 men within, uh, as it were, a half a furrow's length in an acre of land. And then there was panic in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. The garrison and even the raiders trembled, and the earth quaked, and it became a very great panic. Let me just go on a few more verses, which kind of gives you the full picture, the ending, so to speak, of this particular narrative. And the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked and said, Behold, the multitude was dispersing here and there. Then Saul said to the people who were with him, Count and see who has gone from us. And when they had counted, behold... Jonathan and his armor-bearer were not there. So Saul said to Ahijah, Bring the ark of God here, for the ark of God went at the time with the people of Israel. Now while Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult in the camp of the Philistines increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, Withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all the people who were with him rallied and went into battle. And behold, every Philistine sword was against his fellow, and there was, great, there was very great confusion. Now the Hebrews, who had been with the Philistines before that time, who had gone up with them into the camp, even they also turned to be with the Israelites, who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, when all the men of Israel, who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim, heard that the Philistines were, uh, were uh, fleeing, they followed hard after them in the battle. And verse 23, so the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed beyond Beth-Avon. Pretty exciting stuff. But I would venture to guess that most of us never knew that story. Most. There might have been some. Because tonight, I'm going to talk, I want to talk to those who feel like God can't possibly use someone like me. Let's pray, okay? And then we'll go into our passage and our our message. God, I thank you for tonight. Thank you that it was made possible by you, that not only did the storm delay and move in a different direction, but I believe you're moving our hearts in a different direction, which is closer to you. And I would pray that, I pray that this retreat and this night and this moment and this message would accomplish that. So open our hearts, help our, again, there's, there's a lot of things happening in life. There's a lot of things in the background and the foreground, and I pray that they would actually move to the background so that you could be in the foreground as we hear from you and as we learn from you, and as we, uh, by your spirit, are encouraged and challenged to trust you even further as a result. Thank you for each person here, uh, and I, I commit this time into your hands in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, in my family of origin, 
my mom and my dad. My dad uh, uh, was for 40 years a minister, a pastor. And my dad, um, I, I got, I think, my personality, my extrovertism from my mom. My dad, he's actually the shortest in our household. <laughs> he's about five, four. My mom is actually taller than my dad. And then I have a younger brother and sister, and I'm not ashamed. I am the third tallest in the family. <laughs> my younger brother is taller than me. My sis, younger sister is taller than me. And my dad, not only is he diminutive in kind of stature, he is one of the quietest people I have ever met, and I would even say some of you would ever meet. This is how quiet he is. When you're at your family reunion, normally you are relaxed and loud and fun. My dad is still the same, quiet. He just sits in the corner. Just sits in the corner, eats whatever, eats his snacks, eats his food, and, and he's, he just wants to go home. So quiet. Well, it, it came time about 10 years ago for him to retire after 40 years in ministry, and then we as a family, we threw him a retirement party. Uh, and the retirement party actually matched my dad. Um, it was very low-key. We didn't even have it at a banquet hall. We rented out a dance studio next to an Hanadam or an H-Mart in North Jersey. And they actually had a dance class that met right after our party. I remember. So the, 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 even the environment was like my dad, kind of low-key, you know, simple. Uh, and at his retirement party, as, as the oldest and uh, oldest son, I was asked to give a speech uh, at his uh, retirement. And I just, re- I just highlighted something that people did know, but maybe didn't realize, but from a son's perspective, that my dad, his private life is what I think I will remember the most. Because he's a guy, and I don't know, some of you have parents or maybe your father's like this. He doesn't want anything. I, 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 one of the things I said in my speech is, he was the hardest man to shop for. What do you buy someone who wants nothing? <laughs> He just wants his peanuts and his Bible. That's it, you know? He was a simple man because he found, again, his great contentment and identity in Christ. I think that's what really what, what drove his simplicity in life. And, and yet I would say, I would dare say that, again, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't the best dad, and I say that humbly and lovingly. He wasn't the best husband. I say that humbly and lovingly. And by the world standards, my dad's ministry was rather unsuccessful. It was very pedestrian, not really much to talk about. His last 10 years of ministry, his congregation was 20 or less. He was not well-known or popular, even within the denomination, but amongst his friends, they really did respect and endear him. And even as I reflect back on that retirement party and my dad's legacy, and he's still alive today, I think my dad's life reminds me that God has a different standard and measurement of success than maybe we, even as Christians, think should be defined as success. I believe God's definition of success is faithfulness. Faithfulness. And I believe my dad espoused that, and he, uh, he really did model that for us. And I, I want to point this out. Here's why, friends. Even in a, in, a, in, a, in a, and I believe it's really a great community, a great family of God here, we can easily get into the comparison game of gifts and talents and skills and uh, personalities and so forth. But I, I want us to kind of avoid and steer away from that based on God's word. 
But I want us to avoid a common and dangerous mentality that I think that is creeping up and is very prevalent in the Christian community today, which is celebrating and, and, and really giving special attention to what we call celebrity Christians. You know, the ones who are the most talented, the giftest, the brightest, the most accomplished, has the most followers, the, the ones who seem, again, they looked like they have it all together. I, I really think that is really antithetical to Scripture and to the gospel. It even says Jesus was a very ordinary man in his appearance. And so I want to address those who feel, and you don't have to raise your hands, ordinary and average. And here's the question I hope to answer in my message tonight. What can God possibly do with an average, quote-unquote, ordinary, quote-unquote, life, especially when no one seems to notice? Am I speaking to anyone tonight? And so, here's the main idea of my message. Here we go. Here it is. Even though, I think it's right up there. I don't know if uh, it's been projected. Even when there's no recognition, God uses courageous lives as an inspiration. Even when there is no or low recognition, God uses those lives as an inspiration, especially for others around them. There are three lessons from Jonathan's Courage that I'm going to walk us through. I'm going to give you a preview of these three lessons that I think can even inspire us today so that we too can follow in his footsteps and ultimately Christ's footsteps. So here it is. The three lessons is this. Our obstacles are opportunities to put our faith into action. Your obstacles, my obstacles are opportunities to put our faith into action. The second lesson is our battles are never meant to be fought alone. And thirdly, our victories are designed to encourage others to press on. So number one, the first lesson that I, I see from this passage in text is this. Our obstacles are opportunities to put our faith into action. Now, who is Jonathan? Um, who is Jonathan? Can I just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break from kind of the traditional preaching kind of format. Who is Jonathan? Let me just ask. Just raise your hand and just, just yell out what you know about Jonathan. Jonathan, what do you know about Jonathan? Yes. Saul's son. Okay, what else do you know about Jonathan? Yeah. David's best friend, and we read about that later on. Yes, what else? Okay. Yes, one more. Yes, so he was in the lineage, you know, royal lineage, to, to, again, literally because of blood, to be next in line to be the king of Israel. Great. Anything else? My point exactly. Okay. <laughs> My point exactly. Um, um, he was actually a battle-tested warrior. Earlier in chapter 13, he leads a successful military campaign that uh, just leading over a thousand soldiers under his command against the Philistines, which actually uh, precipitated why the Israelites were in this situation because he had such a successful military campaign against the Philistines. The Philistines countered and they rose up tens of thousands of people to try to come and crush Israel. He was, yes, Jonathan, uh, David's best friend, but little do people know, and until I studied this, he was actually 30 years older than David. When you think of his humility, 
somebody 30 years older who treated a shepherd boy as a peer and actually deferred to him because God's hand was upon him, not himself. Remarkable. And so we pick up the story uh, in, in 1 Samuel 13. Uh, again, uh, because Jonathan was again fighting against the enemies of God, the Philistines, which uh, really uh, caused them to come and try to come back. And they were pretty brutal in the way they tried to uh, take over and demoralize the, uh, the Israelites. We see that the, moral, uh, the morale of the leadership and the hope for another victory uh, is very low. The uh, Philistines have confiscated all the weapons. That, well, that's what we see in verse 22 of chapter 13. And they even removed all the blacksmiths who made the weapons, uh, took them out of Israel. So they couldn't even produce weapons. So the only two people who had weapons in all of the nation of Israel were Saul and Jonathan. The Israeli army, which at, at, at its peak was over 600,000 men, was down to six, uh, 300,000 men, excuse me, was down to 600 men because everyone scattered. They felt like, wow, look at this force, formidable enemy. There's no chance against them. So people fleed. They went back home. They went into the hills. It says they, they hid in, in, in holes, literally. It was a hopeless situation. Now, Jonathan comes on the scene. Instead of doing what a lot of us would do, which is to sulk, which is to wish things were different, to complain, to grumble, and to blame, and to give up hope altogether, Jonathan still believes the same God who gave him victory against the Philistines earlier was still the same God who could give him victory again. So he devises a plan. It didn't take him very long because it only required two people that only with one other person, he was going to take on a garrison of soldiers up on a cliff. Look with me in verse 1. He, he said to his armor bearer, hey, let's go over there. And it's really odd. It reminds me of, again, these movie scenes. I'm, I'm dating myself from the 90s, you know, uh, William Wallace. I'm going to go pick a fight. I'm going to go pick a fight. And he just needed one person, his armor bearer, to come along. Brothers and sisters, our response to difficulties, hardships, and challenge, challenges, which I don't minimize or discount, are real. Our response to these things often define and refine our faith. In James chapter 1, later in the New Testament, James writes this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when, not if, you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect. In other words, mature, complete, and lacking in nothing. Our obstacles, our hardships, difficulties, disappointments define oftentimes and refine our faith. Uh, when my oldest daughter, Olivia, was about three months old, uh, I was, my wife and I and her, we went up to Toronto to uh, speak at a friend's retreat. And at the, at the end of the retreat, we're staying in the hotel room. We're leaving the next day to return home. Olivia's three months old. Alice did what she had done many, many times. He was giving a bath to Olivia um, in the bathtub at the hotel. And the, the water went from lukewarm as it was running over my daughter's right ankle, 
from lukewarm to boiling hot. And I was, I was not in the bathroom with him. I was in the bed. I was in the other part of the, the room. And I had never heard my daughter shriek like that up to that point. It wasn't even a cry. It was a shriek that was incessant. It couldn't be consolable. And so right on her ankle, burning water, burnt off. It was about second degree burns. And thankfully, we had friends who were with us at the time, and they had a car. They were hanging out with us in our hotel room. They immediately rushed us to the ER. And something I learned, uh, and I didn't want to learn, but I'm, I learned on that day, when you have an infant and you take them to the ER, they don't take paperwork. They don't need paperwork. They don't ask any questions. You take an infant, they just take them straight into the back. And they treated Olivia right away. And I just thank God because, again, friends were in the room. There's a hospital not that far. And, again, no messing around, no waiting around. We, they treated her right away. And it was an exhausting evening. And, of course, she was bandaged. We had to go get medicine for her. And late into the night, maybe about 2 or 3 a.m., Alice and I finally laid in bed. I still remember this moment. And I just, I, I think I held her hand, but I know we were just, just lying together. And I said, thank God. She said, what? Thank God. I said, thank God it was only her leg. It wasn't her face, her hands, her private parts, other, more severely, potentially severely, maybe irreparably damaged areas of her body. Thank God. That's a horrible situation. And some of us have had even worse chronic illness, terminal illnesses within our families, and, and we've had to overcome them in our own lives. But I think every obstacle, God wastes nothing. It's an opportunity for us to put our faith into action and for us to declare it, to demonstrate it, and test it if it's real. And that's what Jonathan had to do. So he, what kind of obstacles did he have to overcome? Uh, I'll list three of them really quickly, and then I'll get on to my second point. His circumstances, the odds were against him. Anybody here feel like the odds are against you? That humanly speaking, there's no way you can solve whatever you're facing. That there's no way to get around what you're going to have to face and endure. It, it just seems like the odds are stacked against me. And that was the case, the odds against him and his, his dad against the whole Philistine army who are fully armed, and they're the only two people in their nation with weapons. The second thing, and I think this is pretty significant, the, the second obstacle that Jonathan had to overcome and face was this, his own family. His dad, the king of Israel, was hiding in a cave. That's why he didn't tell his father. His dad was full of apathy. He lacked faith, even though he had a priest with him, the ark with him. He was afraid to engage the enemy. He was afraid to live out his identity. He was the appointed, chosen uh, king of Israel by God. And even Saul, Saul, if, if you read in the Old Testament, you know how they, one of the things that made him distinct from any other male in the nation? It says he was the tallest 
So he wasn't like my dad, the shortest in his family. He was actually the tallest man in all of Israel. And his own dad, who should have led the charge against the Philistines because he knows who God is and what God can do, his own dad abdicated his responsibility of leading and loving. And some of us tonight, some of the greatest obstacles that you will have to face and overcome by the grace of God, the power of God, the spirit of God is that your family is one of the greatest reasons you felt you feel held back in living out who you are in Christ. And that's why I believe Jonathan didn't tell his father. I think he just didn't feel, I believe his, he didn't think his father would talk him out of it. Or I think he just didn't, he thought his father at that point didn't really factor in. If his father was going to do something, he would have, but his dad was in a cave. Some of us, maybe one of us, one of the greatest obstacles that you will need to face and overcome, again, not alone, and we'll get to that in just a moment, is your family of origin, the wounds, the brokenness, the pain that have come from your family of origin. And yet Jonathan did not let that be an obstacle to seeing what God can do and accomplish the third obstacle, and it's more, it's a physical obstacle. It's the danger and the fear of the unknown of going up a steep and thorny and rocky cliff, as described in verses four and five. So, and again, when you climb up a cliff, the, the nature of a cliff is I don't know what's atop, at the top. I don't know. I just know that there's a, there's a soldier up there mocking me, egging me on to come up and fight him. But I don't know how many soldiers are up there, how well armed they are compared to me and my only spear and sword. It's the unknown. It's a danger and the fear of the unknown. For some of us, we're so paralyzed. You know how they say when someone gets into kind of a high-stress moment, people have two types of responses, fight or flight. I believe there's a third one. It's freeze. I don't want to do anything. I'm frozen. But Jonathan wouldn't freeze. He was more of the fighter. He was the fighter. Brothers and sisters, as I move forward here, where are you today? Are you focusing on these obstacles or other types of obstacles in your life? The difficulties of our lives, our circumstances that seem insurmountable. Maybe it's even the faults and the disappointments of others in your life. And that's what is hindering and paralyzing your growth and your relationship with Christ. I, I want to humbly just submit to you and encourage you, look to the Lord. I'm not saying forget about those things like they don't exist. I'm just saying focus on something else, someone who knows your obstacles, someone who has overcome the greatest obstacle in the world. It's called death. We just sang about it. Death could not hold you. The grave could not hold you. That is the God who we call upon, who we follow who is worthy of our entire lives. So look to the Lord. Ask him for strength, perspective, hope, and courage to live by faith to face the circumstances, the brokenness in our past, especially in our families of origin, and the uncertainties and the dangers of an uncertain and unclear future. So... The first lesson, again, is our obstacles are opportunities to put our faith into action. And the second one is our battles are never meant to be fought alone. Our battles are never meant to be fought alone. Jonathan is passionate. 
He has, he's living by faith. That's, what I, I, that's the way I would describe it. However, even with passion, even with faith, he realizes he can't do this alone. And that's why in verses 6 through 8, it's, it's again, a very, I think a very beautiful dialogue recorded in Scripture. He says, come on, let's go over there. Let's go over to these guys who don't know God. Uh, let's see what God will do, whether it's by uh, many or by few, even if it's just the two of us. And then in verse 7, the armor bearer says to him, I love it. Whatever's in your heart, I'm with you, man. Do as you wish. Count me in. Behold, Jonathan, I am with you, heart and soul. And I just want to pause here just for a moment and just ask you, who are the armor bearers in your life? Because I would propose that you cannot do life without armor bearers. And armor bearers in, in David's day and in, in the Old Testament are people who literally held the shield, held all the weapons. They weren't the ones who were fighting, but oftentimes in battle, they're the ones who, after you struck an enemy, they're the ones who finished the job. You strike down an enemy and then the armor bearer is the one who would, who would do the final kind of blow to, to eliminate your enemy. We all need armor bearers because we all have battles and our battles, and we all have them, are never meant to be fought alone. So with that question, who's your armor bearer? And I hope some of you are thinking already, oh, thank God for this person, this brother, this sister. I would also add another question. Whose armor are you bearing as well? Whose battles are you helping to fight for others? Because we all have battles, as C.S. Lewis put it. We just don't know it. But every person you meet is facing some kind of battle. But we are never intended to do it alone. But Jonathan, just so that we're very clear, he's not trusting in his armor bearer. He's trusting in the Lord. In verses 9 through 13, he says this in verse 10, for the Lord has given them into our hand. Verse 12, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. We need armor bearers to face our battles, but ultimately the battle belongs to the Lord. Amen? And if, if you're a child of God, if you belong to the family of Christ, I have some good news for you. Something that seems so simple, but I think it's worth just reminding us. Your battles are God's battles. If you belong to him, and in Christ we do. He's in us, we're in him. Your battles are his. And even though that is absolutely true, part of it being his battles, is we don't have to go it alone. There's two extremes I find uh, amongst uh, Christians that I, I find, uh, even amongst Christians, two extremes that we want to just be mindful of and avoid. We don't want to trust people alone, even other Christians, because when you trust your armor bearer, then you're actually putting your faith in someone who needs Christ just as much as you. You're putting on a weight on their shoulders that no human was designed or created to bear. So while we have the brothers and sisters, our house church shepherds, and we have those within our lives and our communities, again, don't put your faith in them, but you face your battles with them, amen? That's one extreme. Then the other extreme, and I find this is true, again, as I mentioned last night, people who have been disappointed over and over again, you try to go your battles alone. You can't. You can't. No one can. 
except if you're Jack Bauer in the 24 series. I, that, that made no sense to me, that, that, that series. It always seemed like he was outside of a building, that someone was being kidnapped in, and there was reinforcements on the way. And I think this is a lot of, we have a lot of Jack Bauer Christians, okay? Uh, reinforcements on the way, Jack. And I, I just pick, some of you watch this series. He has his phone. I can't wait any longer. I'm going in. And I think a lot of us have adopted a Jack Bauer mentality to our Christian faith. I can't wait a lo- any longer for people to get their act together, the people to care enough for me or to really pray for me. I'm going it alone. Well, when you trust in people alone, that's on one extreme, and when you try to go it alone, actually, instead of putting your faith in people, you're putting your faith in yourself. And neither, neither produces victories and wins and advancement. That's not how God designed it. And from my experience, too many Christians try to work everything out on their own. You know how I find this out? Here's how. And I'm not speaking to any particular demographic, so to speak, or any person, excuse me, but oftentimes I find out from uh, people within maybe my circle of friends or in our church community that they're dating all of a sudden. Oh, I'm dating this person. Oh, really? Um, okay, that's pretty important. That's very important. Um, who have you told? No, 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 just me and God. She's the one. He's the one. And I wish I had a, a flag that I could keep in my, literal flag in my back pocket so I could whip it out and start waving it. <laughs> a red flag. Are you serious? One of the most important decisions you make in your life you're going to make it based on your feelings? You did it all alone? You didn't seek counsel? Oftentimes I ask a couple or a young person who says, oh, I'm praying about someone. And my follow-up question is, how long have you been praying? Uh, just a couple days. <laughs> and during that time, how much are you praying or how much are you thinking about the person? Actually, it's more thinking. I get you're not praying. You're thinking about them. You're praying when you ask someone to pray with you. Someone who loves you enough to say, whoa, 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 slow down. Or, hey, 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 go for it. It's both. But too many Christians, from my observation experience, are trying to do life on their own and work everything out. And then they announce to the church. And then when the church doesn't help them, when they, <laughs> they experience the consequences of their decision, they blame God. But that's not the way God wanted it to be. We were, we were, we're born again into the family of God, and that's into the, the body of Christ. Ecclesiastes 4 says this, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. If, one, if, if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has not another to lift him up. And if two lie together, they can keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not so quickly is not quickly broken. There's a spiritual principle here, friends. We have battles. Everyone, the person next to you, the person be, behind you, your neighbor who's who's a believer or not a believer, your coworker, they have battles. Uh, members of your family, they have battles. But we're not ever meant to fight those alone. And and. And let me ask right now, and I just try to do a preliminary list, 
okay? Some of the, the premier elite athletes, the, the GOATs, the greatest of all times. I was trying to list all the GOATs that I can come across of. Maybe LeBron James. I know that's controversial, okay? Serena Williams. I don't think anyone could argue that. Michael Phelps, in terms of gold medals, the best ever. Roger Federer potentially could break the record uh, for Grand Slams for a male. Tom Brady, okay? I know uh, yeah, mixed reviews. Tom Brady, but who can argue with his record and his Super Bowl rings? Usain Bolt. Man, man, and, and I, I end with Usain Bolt because I remember when he won his last gold medal event in the London Olympics. It was, a, it was interesting. Uh, an interviewer came up to him and said, hey, Usain, are we going to see you in Rio de Janeiro? You know, he was breaking records. He was uh, racking up the medals. He's at the top of his game. In four years, are we going to see you in Rio? I'll never forget what Usain Bolt said. The fastest man in the history of track and field. I need to talk to my coach. Every athlete I just listed has a coach. Even when you think you are the best, and objectively you are, we all have coaches, trainers, training partners. The best of anything doesn't get there by themselves or stay there for very long by themselves. Who are we to think that we can do it differently and better than the best of the best in another industry or field? Because that's just not the way God designed it. We all need someone to see our blind spots, someone to, to lift us up, to someone to encourage us to press forward when it gets really hard. Because battles are never, ever meant to be fought alone. And I end with this before I get to my last point. Most of the commands in the New Testament are in the plural voice. What that means is this. Whenever you read a command in the New Testament, especially in the epistles, it's to a group of people. Do this, be filled, obey, love. It's, it's rarely, if ever, just directed at one person. So in your New Testament, most of the commands are directed to people. Therefore, literally speaking, you cannot obey the commands of the New Testament if you try to obey them alone. They were always intended to be obeyed by a body, a family, a house church, uh, two friends. And they're never meant to be obeyed alone. Because the, the life or the journey of life or the battles of life are never meant to be fought alone. If it were, were to see growth and victory and breakthroughs and, 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 and overcoming as is available, that is found, that is available through Christ, his blood, his spirit that dwells within us. Thirdly, lastly, and then I'll be done. Our victories are designed, and I think this is so important, are to, designed to encourage others to press on. Our victories are designed to encourage others to press on. So Jonathan is armor bearer. You've read it. They accomplished what militarily they would see as impossible. A complete and total victory against 20 heavily armed soldiers in an open field. Just one person against 20 heavily armed soldiers. But this is, this is actually what that victory was intended for. It was not for Jonathan to his name to be exalted because the victory was not for them. Rather, brothers and sisters, it was to encourage and strengthen those around them, the discouraged, the defeated, the disillusioned. 
That's why we read verses 16 through 23 that the watchmen, when they, when they were looking for Jonathan, they, they couldn't find Jonathan and his armor bearer, but then they started hearing this commotion. Again, the Philistines were in uproar. There was confusion, commotion, because one person, because God was with them, along with his armor bearer, if he could take out 20 people by themselves, they're like, what is going on here? So the Philistines started to fight each other out of confusion, and they started to flee. And then this important note, it's in verse 22. It says this, when all the men of Israel who had hidden themselves in the hill country heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they too followed hard after them in battle. Brothers and sisters, share. I encourage you. I believe it's honoring to God to share both your struggles and your victories, because both of them honor God. When we share about our struggles, it's, honest, it's just being honest and open about where we are, but trusting in God's promises and presence, and our victories showing, again, there's moments, there's times when God does demonstrate, again, uh, grace and favor and victory. Both honor God. They're meant to be shared with your community. Everyone, you know this, has struggles, However, a humble and faithful follower of Christ is not afraid or ashamed to share their victories and give God the glory. Why? Because, here's why, it encourages others to keep fighting as well. I remember hearing about a couple in our church. They were at a church prior to our church, and again, it's by no means a commentary about that church. It's another church. We just had their church, church's worship team lead worship at our church. Great pastor, great church. But there's something she said, this one person uh, that what led her to leave that church and actually start to come and feel it welcomed and kind of free at our church. She said this, at my, for whatever reason, she felt comfortable sharing her struggles at that church, but she was looking for people to share her victories with as well. People wouldn't judge them, saying, hey, guys, you've been praying? Look what God did. You know, I've been, I've been, I've been, I've been, I've been pressing in. I've been, I've been, I'm trusting God, and look, I'm experiencing freedom and hope and healing from this sin. She said, for whatever reason, they could understand her struggles, but she felt timid and reluctant to share her victories. But for whatever reason, also at our church in our community, she's able to share both. Friends, in your small groups, in your house churches, in your conversations. Don't downplay the victories that God is accomplishing in your life. Because anybody who knows you knows that you don't really get the credit for that victory. That it's all God's. But also at the same time, it can actually encourage them to keep fighting for their, in their battles as well. This is not just something we can learn from Jonathan. This is what we can learn from Christ. He, he died, he rose again, and he lives, and he's coming back. And that's why it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. By definition, our faith is based on someone else sharing his victory with us and through us. Amen? So let's share, let's celebrate, let's, let's, let's text each other, let's call one another up. 
and say, you've been praying, and finally this person's coming to faith. You've been praying, and, I, I'm, and this fog is lifting. You've been praying, but the fog hasn't lifted, but I haven't given up hope. That's a victory. Let's share our victories. And that's a sign of a family, is when my girls come back, and they can say, Dad, I did it. And I don't say, wow, that's being very proud, sweetheart. No, it's, woohoo, boo, boo, boo. Because then it encourages me that God, by his grace, can do things like that in my life. So let's share. Let's give God the glory. But know that also it can help others who are fighting hard, hard battles to press on as well. I close with this. I close with this. Jonathan, 30 years older than David. And uh, I'm sure what happened in 1 Samuel 13 and 14, the prince of Israel going to battle when he didn't have to, you better believe people talked about it. I remember when Prince Harry, you know, the, the prince, I guess he's fourth in line or fifth in line of the crown in England, I remember when he, he's, I think, a, a commissioned military, uh, I think an, uh, a pilot, helicopter pilot for the Royal Air Force. I remember the headline news when they were, they were actually saying that it was not a good thing for Harry to go into battle because he would be a prized target of the enemy. And there would be great leverage if they had the prince of another country. And so they're saying, Harry, he doesn't have to go. He's the prince of England. And I remember headlines saying, no, 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 he's putting his fellow soldiers at risk. And Prince Harry was like saying, I'm just doing my duty. And so if Prince Harry going into a battle from a helicopter made international news, uh, I believe that Jonathan taking on an enemy when he didn't have to was making the news all around the land as well. And I wonder, at one dinner table, if Jesse gathered his sons, he said, sons, 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 let me tell you the story of our prince. Have you heard? He took on 20 with an armor bearer with just a couple of weapons and the power and the might of the Lord. And I wonder, I wonder if at the end of that dinner table, his, his son David was listening and hearing and being inspired. Wow, God did that? And so when David was on the battlefield against Goliath, yes, ultimately he was trusting in God. But I wonder if in the back of his mind, that young shepherd boy said, if God could pull through and do this through my prince, God could use me as well. And I read later on, I'm not going to go into the text in 1 Samuel 17, the well-known Bible story. There's so many parallels, even the language. When he mocks Goliath, he says, hey, you uncircumcised Philistine. <laughs> Where did he, you think he got that term uncircumcised from? I believe, again, he might have heard about it from this prince. And then as he's running into battle, running towards Goliath, taking on this, this again, this huge gargantuan man with his own armor bearer, 
Remember what David declares? This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. It almost sounds so eerily familiar to the prince that some of us have never heard about this battle. Brothers and sisters, we are not supposed to be concerned about if people will remember what we did, but we want people to remember, even if we get no recognition, what God can do through someone like you and me. Amen? So if some of you think no one notices, no one cares, I want to encourage you to humbly, courageously, boldly, and daily look to God. Be reminded of who you are in Christ because another prince took on a battle that he didn't have to take on and he went up, not up a cliff, he went up a hill. And he, instead of defeating the enemy with an armor bearer, He defeated the enemy with two thieves on either side of him. Amen? And because Jesus, the prince, laid down his life for you and for me. And again, brought us into not just the kingdom or given us a reservation in heaven, but brought us into the family of God. That we can encourage one another. We can share our struggles and our victories. We can uh, know that our battles are not ours alone and that our obstacles are not just for us to face alone. God will, brothers and sisters, and wants to use a consecrated, surrendered life, yours and mine, even if there's no recognition, God can use a courageous life as an inspiration to encourage and bless others to live for him as well. Let's pray, and then we'll go into a time of response and reflection and continue in our retreat. I I do just want to ask you, as you bow with me in prayer, uh, to think about one or just one of two things, or both. What are the obstacles that you say, God, I don't know about this one. I really, really, I really, really don't know. I'm really, I'll just be honest, God, I don't think you can make a dent or breakthrough in this obstacle in my life. What's that obstacle or obstacles? And I'm going to ask you just to think about it and even confess it and admit it and surrender to the Lord. And secondly, and again, I think we do this regularly at communion or maybe when we sing but maybe we don't do it enough in just times of personal prayer. What can you say, God, thank you for the victory in this area, dot, 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 fill in the blank. Thank you for this victory. Yes, I could focus on the things that are still not the way it should be. I could focus on the disappointments, the hardships, the hurts. But God, I genuinely want to thank you for this victory that only you accomplished in and through me. And I encourage you, whatever you say or pray, to share with someone at this retreat. Can I share with you a victory? I haven't shared with anyone, but I want to give God glory, and hopefully it encourages you. So what are the obstacles and what are the victories that you want to just say, God, help me face this, overcome this, but also thank you for helping me overcome this. I want to give you thanks and praise. Just take a moment to pray. I'm going to pray for you. After I pray for you, continue to pray along those lines, and then your pastor will come and 
lead us and point us and, and draw us closer to the heart of God. Father, I thank you so much that there was another prince who didn't have to come, but he came. Another prince who didn't have to die, but he died. And another prince who had the ultimate victory and didn't have to share it, but he shares it with us. And because of that truth, that reality, Lord, we can face our enemies. We can face the obstacles. We can share our victories with others. And we can also help others by your grace, by your mercy, others to press on in this journey, in this battle called faith, called life in Christ. I pray for brothers and sisters here who felt they were all alone coming into this retreat. Yes, they know that this is their church. They have a house church shepherd and brothers and sisters who care. But deep down, they believe that they were all alone. I pray that that wouldn't be the case after tonight. That, of course, you're with them and the family of God is behind them. So I pray that would be a healing and a freeing truth for someone in this room. We love you, Lord. Now, as we offer our times of just confessing, admitting, and surrendering obstacles, and also lifting up praises for victories, would you receive both, God, and meet people where they are. Make it loud and clear. Help them to know how near you are to them, how much they're loved by you, and who they are, because they belong to Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.